So one of the things Kevin uh, just shared in that update is the last uh, two months we've been able to have Don and Stephanie Smith with us from Eastbourne in England. And Don and Stephanie have been working uh, with our church now for about 10 years. And uh, we've been able to have them over the years come and help us in many different ways. And so it's been great this autumn to have them here for three months. So uh, believe it or not, they're only here with us for about four more weeks as they head out in early December, which is hard to believe. But Don's going to come. He's going to bring teaching from God's Word this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 16. And if I need to translate it all, I'll try to jump in for Don speaking. So Don, welcome. Thanks for helping us out this morning. We're looking forward to hearing God's Word. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, all. Good morning. Hello, how are you? I'm fine. That was good this morning, wasn't it? That was good this morning, wasn't it? That was good. Let's praise God. Um, when I, I, I planted the church in Eastbourne, and I took 17 from the church I'd been in, and uh, we started this church. And the, at the very beginning, there were, there were always people who grumble at you, aren't they? You know, we ain't doing enough evangelism. We've only just got here. People are not moved in yet. And when you start doing evangelism, they say, we should be doing social action. There are always people there like that, you know. And 15 years later, the church had grown from 17 to 500. They were still moaning. <laughs> they were still moaning. You'll always find problems that are wrong, can't you? Even the sun's got spots on it, hasn't it? Hasn't it? The sun's got spots on. You'll always find things that are wrong. But this is not a day to look at the wrong thing so much. Listen. God is on the move. And we're in that. And you can get in, or you can sit there, saying the sun's got spots, so I won't sit in the sun and enjoy the nice sunshine. Listen, it's a good day. And it's a day not to sit there, it's to get involved. All right? Not to come and visit and, and have a little joy time. Come and get involved in what God's doing. There's a time, uh, a tide, when a ship can go out. The tide is high. This is the time to get involved. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? You know, if you go around and say, well, I don't like this. I don't like Joe's haircut. Well, I don't like his haircut. <laughs> you know? I, do, I, I don't like Gary's nose. It's like I saw, listen, this is a day to get involved. And uh, I challenge you, any move of God, you know, uh, there are people, even Pharisees could stand there and see people raised from the dead and not see it. You're not a clever dick when you say nothing's happening, you're misery. Now, Christians in England, they think by being miserable, they're being holy. They're not. They're being ungodly. Pharisees stood there and watched the lame being made to walk and the blind being made to see, and they did not see it. Can I say this morning, listen to me, God is on the move. And we are, God's on the move with us. I know he's on the move in many other places. We're in an exciting day, aren't we? Aren't we? I'm challenging you to begin this morning. Get involved. Don't sit there like a, like I call it a dollop. The one who's great pudding men. You know, big, you know. Knows all about everything, but you know, get involved. It's an exciting day. Let's go to uh, Acts 16. I'm going to be getting at you this morning. Betty said, are you going to have questions this morning? Yeah, I'm going to be some questions. Where's Betty gone? How you are, Betty? I said, I'm, I said, I'm not going to give any notes. I'm going to, I'm going to put a poker on the nose this morning. I'm going to stir up. Uh, it's Acts 16, and we're going to go right down to verse uh, uh, 13. They've come from uh, Mesopotamia. They've arrived at a place called Philippi. There's no church there. 
And it's a church planting. What they're doing is they're church planting. On the Sabbath day, they went outside the city gates to the river where they expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak with the women who, who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Tarafara, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she had, and the members of her household were, sorry, let me read that again. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into, invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay in my house. And she was persuaded. They'd arrived in this city, and uh, there's no synagogue there. There's not enough Jewish men. So they go down to the river to, to have a time of prayer. And they meet a group down there. And it's this woman, Lydia, obviously has a God shape in her mind because she was a worshiper of God. She wasn't a Christian, but she had a sense of a God shape in here. She was a worshiper. And as Paul begins to exp- uh, uh, talk to her and explain to her, uh, God opens her heart, and she becomes a believer. And then they move off into the city. And as they're moving around, I will tell you the next bit of the story, uh, they're chased by a young girl who's demon-possessed. And she's used by people to to tell fortunes. They make money out of her. And she picks up the apostles and she starts shouting them. They're the the messages of God. They're uh, uh, God's people. She starts shouting them. And it gets irritable in the end. After two or three days, Paul turns around and says, Oof! It doesn't take all night. The the, The demon's gone like that. Have you heard those people who de- are cast out a demon take about three days? Paul never takes three days. It's run. It's out. It's utter. And she's then in a sane mind. She no longer makes money for her uh, employers. She was used to make money by fortune telling. And they were very angry. A whole riot ensues. They're very angry. They were making a fortune out of her. She was doing very well. And they end up, uh, the, Paul and Silas are thrown in prison. And uh, they're beaten. They're stripped. And they're thrown into prison. Let's pick up the message again. So now we've got a second person who God has touched in Philippi, this little slave girl. And at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Listen, we say that and we think, it feels nice, doesn't it? Singing hymns and praising God. Listen, they'd been stripped and beaten and they were in the stocks. They were not in a nice place. You were crying because your video didn't work this week. I don't think God loves me. My video don't work. You know, oh... What are you talking about? Listen, they're in prison, they've been beaten, they've been, they're in the stocks, and they're praising God, they're singing. And uh, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a violent earthquake when the foundations of the prison were shaken, and, one of the, and all at once, all the prison doors were opened, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself, because he thought the prisoners escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we're all here. Then the jailer uh, called for lights, they rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them, in, uh, brought them out and asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Listen this morning, if you want to be saved this morning, and you, if, you're not, if you're outside of Christ, you need to be saved. The answer is quite simple. The reply, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. At that hour of the, of, the, of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house, set a meal before them. And they were filled with joy because they had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. It's a, it's a, you, this idea that church planting is new is absolutely stupid. Church parties always happen to groups when the Holy Spirit has dropped upon them. If you know your church history, when the Holy Spirit comes to a group and drops upon them, the thing they do is they go, woof, 
In a few years they go out. You often hear, we get it in England, there's a group in America, there's revival going on, and all the pastors start rushing out there. What's going on? And I say it's not revival. It may be a meeting where God's blessing them. It may be something wonderful. It's not revival because revival always spreads like a grass fire. Always spreads. like God just is maybe blessing that church or there's a, a, a special anointing going on. If it's revival, it spreads. Church planting is not a new idea. It's always happened through history. Paul and Silas go into Philippi. And this is the beginning of the church and they're planting a church. See who they pick up. First of all, they pick up Lydia. Lydia is a obviously well-to-do lady, even to be allowed to, uh, to be in business. She had to be somebody of importance. She's in business. She's at the top of the of this social strata. She's well off. She's a businesswoman. And she comes to the Lord. And then we get this little slave girl. She's the other end, down the bottom. She's just used and abused by people to make money. And I believe that she probably came in as well. Doesn't quite clearly say it, but I'm going to assume it. And then the next person is this Philippian jailer. Now, he was a harsh man. Now, it wasn't like modern jails. Our modern jails at home, they have a nice loo, they want television, they want exercise, they want all sorts of things. So it's all nice, it's better than going to a hotel. It costs more to keep prison, people in prison in England than to send people to school. It's probably the same here. No, it was a harsh place. You were stuck in a hole, and he would be a brutal, harsh man. Probably an ex-army uh, 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 man, because he would be brutal. He wouldn't be... Wouldn't be uh, Slow at putting the boot in or giving you a good thumping if you didn't do what you're told. That sort of person. And he gets saved. So we've got a church planting situation here. There's three different people at the beginning of this church. Why do I want you to church plant? Now, I've been around for a long time, haven't I? Don't always agree with me, please. Listen. Church planting is the best way to evangelize. It's the best way to evangelize. Uh, in, our, in the town I'm at... It's Eastbourne, 100,000 people. We planted in 20 years ago, the 17 people. Listen, the only church that's grown in the town is King's Church Eastbourne. They've done their campaigns. They've brought organizations in. They've done all sorts of things together and separately, and they all go down in number. They all go down in number. The church that's grown most, with people being uh, uh, saved. Yeah, we have people coming from other churches to start with, but after that, it starts to be people being saved. And we've got huge numbers that have been saved. Church planting is a good way to evangelize. And there are reasons for it, which I think are important. One is a church plant will be putting 90% of its energy into growth. When I got to Eastbourne, there was only one thing to do. Grow! Do you know why? He's asleep again. Come on, wake up. I need to be paid for a start, didn't I? It had to grow. And I, I can remember giving illustrations of uh, landing on a, uh, when you land like, uh, on a, 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 like in the Falklands, and we took the Falklands back, we landed at Goose Green. There's only one rule, spread out as quick as you can. And we had to grow. 90-odd percent of our energy went into growth. We did all sorts of things. We try anything. A new plant will try all sorts of new ideas very quick. Old churches do not. It has to go through the deacons, the odd bods, the financial committee. And 20 years later, they say, no, we don't think we can do that. Listen, listen, Eastbourne, when I planted it, 90-odd percent went in. There was one couple who came. They got massive problems. I said, don't come here. You need to go to another church. They can help you. I haven't got the time to help you. I've got to grow. You hear that? Church planters are like that. When I left Eastbourne a few years ago, it was a church of 500. 80, 90% of his energy goes into maintenance. 
all these house group leaders now maintaining Christians. All these uh, good leaders looking after the youth group. And all the other things. We we did all sorts of things like cooking courses, financial courses, all sorts of things. We now, the church, as it grows, must begin to turn into maintenance. It has to. It has no choice. It has to look after what it's got. So church planning is a good way to evangelize. Another thing about church planning, it makes room for new leaders. I was in a church one time and I was asked, how do they choose the leaders here? I said, they've got to be an ex-bank manager and they've got to at least be 80 years old. Right? But in a new church, you'll experiment. In Eastbourne, we had people preaching when I was there and now they wouldn't even let talk in a house group. But try anybody. That's what they got. It makes room for new and young leadership to come up. I'm not against old churches. I'm, I'm, I think that churches are like people. They go through stages of life. But the way I believe we're gonna, if we're going to plant churches, it will be it's the best way to evangelize. We're told to go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. So we go out there to reach them. Yeah, there may be at the beginning church people for coming from other churches. It's like starting a fire with a bit from the other fire. But in, in, a new church will be very evangelistic. As it grows, it will become more uh, um, maintenance. It will be more radical. It will be more radical. We would sit in a group and say, we're going to do this. In five minutes, we decided. You could be radical. You could try things. We did things that were absolutely stupid. didn't, didn't work. We did other things that were wonderful. Where did house groups come from? They didn't come from the traditional church. They came from new plants, new churches breaking out in England, saying, how do we look after each other? And that's how we got into house groups. Now it's accepted by many other churches. So even a new church will provide for the old churches because they pick up what we do. It's working down the road. Shall we try? But house groups, when I began house groups, I was spoken against. I was told I was doing evil things. I was meeting at home so I could do nasty things. Right? But now it's accepted. So new groups always uh, make new ideas and bring new things in. The worship we worship now, this this is a million miles away from where we started. You know, when we started, you can't do that. You can't say, guitars? What do you mean guitars? Drums? But as, we, as these new groups were prepared to try anything to meet, reach the society around them, then the old churches will often pick up those ideas two or three, four or five years down the road. New churches will try new ideas and be more radical. They will make more mistakes. New churches, I don't feel like they're safe. They don't feel safe. The old church, you feel safe. You're secure. They've been doing it like this for 150 years. You know the seat you're going to sit in. You know you're going to be, you've been sitting there for 20 years. Nothing's going to change. It feels secure. They maintain very well. They have to maintain. New churches can be much more radical and uh, 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 be more open to new ideas and new leadership. This is an, uh, an incredible place to be if you think you've got something for the future in God, if you've got a calling. There's room for you to grow if you're going to grow here. You haven't got to be 80 before we let you preach. And so new churches are much more radical. The old ones are much more secure uh, and much more uh, uh, involved in maintenance and security. They're good at programs, the old churches. They've got good pro- See, in Eastbourne now, if you want to do something, it has to go to the elders. The elders have to then talk to the financial group, and then they have to talk to the house group. This doesn't affect the house group. And you're not affecting what goes on in the truth world. And, da, 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 and it takes you months to get things done. But in the early years, it was like that. So I think church planting is one of the best ways to evangelize. I'm not going to go too much. I want to touch that this morning. Because I think people talk to me as if it's a new idea. If you look in history, when there's ever been a pouring out of the Spirit, they've done that. Sooner or later, they've spread. They've spread. 
It's not a real revival when it's contained in one church. It doesn't. It spreads out and you go through history. What do I notice in this, this bit in Acts? They prayed. Where were they going? Where were they going? When they got to Philippi, what did they do? They didn't go to McDonald's. They went down to the river to pray. And when, you, when this woman, this young girl is shouting them, where are they going? They're going to pray. They're going daily to pray. When she shouts them, listen, we've got to be a praying people. Now, I'm going to come on, brothers and sisters. If you've got a question and you, you want to put for the house groups this week, put this question. Why don't you come to the prayer meeting? Oh, come to the prayer, whatever you like. We need to be people of prayer. If we're going to achieve what we've got to put on our heart, it's only by the almighty power of God. And we're only going to get that almighty power when we go and intercede and ask for God on our behalf. And when we come together tonight, what are we doing? We're before the throne of grace. We're coming before the king of kings. We're making our requests known. They were a praying people. They knew how to pray. Um, they went to the place of prayer. Acts is packed with prayer. You know, in Acts 2, they're praying. When they go up to the beautiful gate, uh, when the, 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 the um, crippled man gets healed, where are they going? They're going to pray. All the time, you, it's packed with prayer. If you look at it, it's packed with them praying and interceding and calling on God to move on their behalf. We need to be people of prayer. If we're, again, when we start in Eastbourne, prayer was like a huge priority. You know, we've got to pray. Whoever we could, we're going to pray as a group. And we need to pray together. Now, don't get out of that little kick out that I pray on my own. Please pray on your own. But there's something about praying together that lifts your prayers. When you hear him praying here, and he's going up, that pick, I go up with him. He strengthens my prayer as I hear how he prays. I get, do you know, in, in England, we've got, well, in the, oh, you've got it here, of course. We're on the downs, and you get these big fluffy white clouds. You get them here, don't you? Don't you? Don't look at me if you don't believe it. Big fluffy white clouds. What does that tell you? There's a firm or a warm air going up underneath it. In a prayer meeting, if I'm praying together, it lifts my spirit. It builds me. Yeah, it's good to pray together, but it's good to get together to pray, to strengthen each other. And this one goes out and starts to get a vision for the nations. And I can get on that and go with him. It lifts me up. It builds my spirit. We need to be coming together to pray. And if you don't like the time, if you don't like the day, if you don't like the length, go and moan at Joe Crummy and we'll change it. We've got to be people of prayer. And it's important we do. You know, <coughs> um, Acts is packed with prayer. They're praying, this one, is, they're, they're praying all the time. Let me give you a quote. Andrew Murray, the South African, in his book says this, there's probably no single sin in each of us that we ought to acknowledge more deeply than the guilt of prayerlessness. Listen, prayer says, I need you, God. Prayerlessness says, I don't need you, I'm independent. I need you, God. I need you in my life, I need you in my church. So we need to be those who are praying. And the, when you come to a church, what do I want to know? If I go to a new church, what do I want to know? How good the music is? No. What do I want to know? I want to know what the giving is like and what the prayer's like. And that's the pulse of the church. You can tell the pulse of a church by those two things, how they give and how they pray. And the prayer meeting's low and the giving's low, you know where the church is at. Uh, we're talking to a church nearby, one again I was involved in. They've just, they went for a bad time. They've got a very large barn of a building. It's a big factory-type building. And they want to change it. And they, they've got a leader. It, went, it just went wrong. Don't know how it went wrong. It wasn't going very well. And they tried gift days to change this building. They get 30,000 pounds. 30,000 pounds. They've changed leader. 
This church is now on the move again. They've got spirit again. They've got vision again. They've just taken the collection last week. They rung and told me £340,000. Money's no problem when people of God are in the things of God and God is there. And they, I'm poor when he rung. He was on the ceiling because he was on, wasn't expecting it. They want to change their building. Listen, giving tells us where we are. When the church is happy, when they've got a vision and they're going on in God, they will give. The other thing they, we need to be, they, we are praying people. We must be marked by prayer. Can I encourage you to pray? For Kevin's sake, I will encourage you to give as well. <laughs> listen, listen, I'll be quite blunt. When we were in Eastbourne, we had to change the building we were in. And... Uh, it got round the town. I heard the rumour, all that King's churches want is your money. You know, other Christians are sometimes your worst enemy, aren't they? And I heard this rumour, so I thought, right, I'll take it one Sunday morning. So one Sunday morning, I said, have you heard the rumour about King's church? It all goes silent. And I said, they're saying, we only want your money. Can I tell you something? It's absolutely true. I want your money to preach the gospel. I want your money to reach young people. I want your money to, to, to reach out and plant churches, to help the poor and the needy. And I went through the whole list and ended up by saying, if you want to give to that, then keep your money. We want to extend the kingdom. So come on, don't remember, oh, just for Kevin's sake there, we must be givers. Listen, in our prayers, let's think about how we pray. So often we are anti the written prayer, aren't we? We don't like the written prayers. We don't think that's right. Well, they can be good if your heart's in it, but if you just do it as a, a thing you do, it's a waste of time. But so can best be praying out of your mind. It can be mindless. What's he praying about? What's he, listen, when the Lord gave the Lord's Prayer, it was to give a pattern prayer, to order your prayers. Come on, let's order our prayers. All time's going, in it? To order our prayers. Let's, the, the Lord's Prayer was to give you a pattern. Uh, there's a group in Eastbourne started up after I'd left leading it, of older people on a Saturday morning, men who meet for breakfast. And I go there one, they ask me to go, so I go. And it's awful. So the man reads some horrible scripture about damnation and hell and what's going to happen to you from the Old Testament. And then he, he says, now, uh, has anybody any, got anything to pray for? Well, you know, what do you, well, my uncle's dying of cancer. Charlie, he's got run over by a bus. Nanny's got, you know. And so they say, can we pray now? Well, no, we can't. Our faith's collapsed through the floor. <laughs> the Lord's Prayer is, get God in perspective. You know, God in, bring God into the picture. You know, almighty God. So we should start by prayer by getting God in there. I've got an almighty God, not an almighty cancer. I've got an almighty God. So we need some order to our prayer. And, uh, I mean, it was terrible. I must admit, I was very frustrated. And there's, there's, we need, Job says that I might find him and I might argue with him. We haven't got that sense. Job said, I want to tell him off. I want to have a moan. Well, God isn't so touchy that you can't be honest with him. I don't like this, Lord. What about this, Lord? And he says, I want to argue with you. What did he argue? I've got to be quick because time's running out. Well, let's give Abraham. Abraham at Sodom and Gomorrah argued with God. He said, God says, I'm going to destroy them all. He said, you can't destroy them all. There might be 50 who are righteous. God says, there's not. He said, no, no, but there might be 40. He says, there's not. He said, there might be 30. He says, there's not. He said, there might be 10. He argues his case. He says, you can't. if you're a just and merciful God, you cannot kill the righteous with the unrighteous. He argues his case. He thinks it out. Jacob, when Jacob, he's coming home. I don't even know the story. When he left home, Esau was going to kill him. His brother was going to, he was very angry with him. Then many years later, he's on his way home with all his family. And he suddenly realizes that Esau's coming the other way with 400 armed men. <gasps> he thinks I'm in trouble. 
I left him. He was angry. He's going to kill me and my, all my family. If you remember, he divides them up. What does he argue with God? He says, be you, God. You said you're going to bless me. This isn't blessing me. You listen. He starts to claim what God had promised. He said, you can't do that. You promised to bless me. He did that, God did that 40 years ago at Bethel. You said, you're going to prosper me. Do you argue like that? I've got an unsaved... Oh, well, no, well, we're not sure if he's unsaved or not practicing daughter as a Christian. Lord, you said, if you walk in my ways and keep my commandments, I'll bless you and your children. Lord, when are you going to keep that promise? Come on, Lord. You said, if you walk in my ways and keep my commandments, I'll bless you and your children. I've sought to do it. When are you going to keep that promise? So we must argue back to God the promises of God. What have you said? Not these nilly-nilly prayers that go around the bushes, you know what they're talking about. Get some order to your prayer. Uh, Moses, when he's got, God says, I'm fed up with these people. They're so rebellious, I'm going to wipe them out. Just wipe them all out. He said, you can't do that. What will that do for your great name? You can't let them. What would the heathens think if you wipe them out? You didn't bring them into the land because you failed. That won't do you any good. So he argues this case again. Jeremiah argues that the people are miserable. He said, we're so miserable. So horrible. Don't do something. Do you pray that sometimes? We live in a, a, a time when you are sad, when you see what's going on around you. If you're not, you ought to be. The mess around, isn't it? Do you know, as we came away, we had another one of these incidents where a man takes his kids in a car and drowns them in the river to get at his ex-wife. Doesn't that make you... How can you get... That's not the first. We've had a whole load of them recent last couple of years of people uh, killing their children to get at their ex-partner. That, that doesn't make you angry and miserable. Lord, come and do something. Come and pour out your spirit on our nation. Come and lift up this stupid church that's arguing about something stupid that nobody cares about. When there's people doing this, we've had a whole host of them in the last couple of years. I gather you're getting them here. And uh, then David, when he argues, he says, you know, come on, Lord. You blessed us in the past. Do it again. Do you pray? I pray it, Lord. Lord, you poured out your spirit in the past in England. Do it again. Come on. Do it again. Yet there was days when, when whole towns were swept by the gospel, when thousands were swept in, you know, and churches began to mushroom. In, 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 the, in Ireland, in 1958 revival, 1858, one of the towns in Northern Ireland, 90% of the pubs closed. That's saying something for Northern Ireland, isn't it? Isn't it? After the revival, because nobody was drinking. Listen, come on, Lord, you've done it in the past. Come and do it again. Come and do it again. Pour out your spirit. You're not, you've not gone to sleep. There's even a greater argument with God in prayer. Let me tell you another argument with God in prayer. Jesus Christ died on the cross for them. Christ died for them. And I get, I get sick of these Christians who say, just us few, just us staggering through time, getting to the end. You know. Listen, he died for a multitude. It says in Revelation, that cannot be numbered. Get your computer out, it'll go bang. We can't number them. We haven't got enough places. Right, because he's a number that cannot be numbered. Let's pray. Christ died for them. He didn't die for some scraggling little group of people struggling through. He died for a multitude, from every kindred, tribe, and nation upon the earth. Lord, come on, do it. Come and do it. Was all that, was that God broke into time and the heavens opened, Christ came, angels stood amazed. He goes to the cross for you and me, a couple of us struggling through. We're going to get through, Lord. No, it's for a multitude. Come and Lord, let's see it in our day. Come and pour out your spirit. So you can, there's the, some of the things, you can, the, it says that, you know, the, the widow, that persisted. You've got to persist. You've got to persist. We've got to be people who are serious about prayer. 
And we've got to say, come on, Lord. We're going, and what, the reason, I, I dislike people reading through the Bible in a year. You may disagree with me. You can disagree with me. I've got to get through it. I've got to get through it. I've got to get through it. I've got, I've got four chapters to do this. I've, I've got through it. <gasps> you read the Bible to pick up the promises of God, didn't you? What God has said that feeds you, you pick up a promise and you aim it back at him. God loves you to go and argue his promises. Didn't you promise me a bike for Christmas? That's what your son says. Come on, Dad. You promised me. We've got to do that. We've got to know the word of God. And God loves that we push our uh, into his face. He is not a Santa Claus. He's not touchy like some old lady. You know, he loves it when you go and remind him of what he's promised to do. Come on, Lord. I pray for my daughter. Lord, you promised. You said, if I walk in your ways and keep your commandments, you will bless me and my children. When are you going to do it? I want to see it. Are you doing that? We've got to, and we've got to persist. We've got to persist in it. We've got to press on and keep asking and keep knocking. In our prayers, let me go back to what I said earlier. We must, we must get God in first. I hate prayer meetings. When you go to little ones, and everybody is sick, everybody is dying, and you think, oh, and your faith is through the floor. Get a great God in there before you ask your request. That's, that's the Lord's prayer. It's get God in there first. Your little bit comes in the middle. It's, it's like, you know, and then God at the end. We've got a great God. Doing great things. All right? Another thing. We're not going to have time this morning for what we're going to do. I've got a few minutes. I've got a few minutes. Listen. They, they, they preach the word of God. Now, one of the things I'm concerned about, I want to say it, be careful, that because we were over one side, cold, hard, word, and no spirit, that we swing too far the other way. We mustn't. We must keep the balance. They preach the word of God. There's a lot of silly talk going on at home. Well, people won't put up with long sermons nowadays. They're used to little bites and pieces. Don't talk cods all up. It's rubbish. It's rubbish. George Whitfield goes to a mining group down by a place called Bristol. They lived in a shanty town. Like you get these shanty towns in, you used to get in South Africa. These miners would work huge hours. And they come up and they live in little sheds and things. George Whitfield was an educated uh, Cambridge, I think it was Cambridge, one of the big one, Cambridge, yeah, it's Cambridge. And uh, he was a very typical Anglican minister. He had a little squinty eye, he wasn't like me, a bit bouncy. He was a very typical Anglican minister. And then in a boat called House Harris, which was like me, got him down there because he said, I don't think ministers shouldn't preach in the open air. Because you know? he was still a bit, he was a bit in the church. And then House Harris got him down, he said, Did a preach, and they said, That's your turn, pushed him in. And he begins to preach. And these men who are ignorant, who had no education, no education, not in university today with 29, or you know, whatever it was you do nowadays, they had no education, right? And you can see that it said they were, God was touching them as the tears ran down their eyes and it made white funnels down their black, cold faces, right? It's the gospel's the power. The gospel, listen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. There's not one of you this morning that if you will not accept Christ as your Savior, he cannot transform your life. The trouble is, you don't grab hold of it. Some of you Christians who go, so-called Christians, go on moaning and grumbling in the pits forever. It's because you've never fully grasped it. You've never fully grasped it. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone that believes. That's Romans chapter 1. So righteousness with the faith from first to last. And it's the revealed gospel. Let me say something about that. It's revealed. It's not just for the clever. 
if it was for the clever, I won't be here. He wouldn't be here, definitely. <laughs> I wouldn't be here. It's revealed. Do you know what revealed means? We went to your theatre the other day. We, we don't go to the theatre very often. We always mean to. We never do. So we thought we'd go. We saw a play that we'd, we'd seen as a film. It was The 39 Steps, right? And we sat in that little dark theatre. And, uh, 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 um, and then suddenly opened the curtains and there's a reveal, the whole scene. Listen, when the gospel is preached, only God, he opened Lydia's heart, he opened her heart. Listen, we cannot argue people into the kingdom. We can't, we've got to preach the gospel to them. Whether they be professors in this university or from the scruffiest streets in the town, it's first got to be revealed to them. Their hearts have got to be opened. Lydia's heart was opened. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. It's the power of God. It's the power of God to transform people. It's the power of God. Personally, I've seen it in my own life. You know, I wonder where I'd be if I hadn't become a Christian. I think I'd be in prison. I think I probably would, actually. I've got that sort of cranky mind. I mean, we had a young man. In the, in, uh, he, was a, he was a child of a, one of the couples in Hastings Church. He didn't come to church. And he decided to rob a bank. He did, seriously. So he went to the one nearest his house because he didn't want to go far, see? So he went down at one of the corners and he robbed his bank, but they all knew him. And I thought, I could do better than that. I could do better than that. You know, he did, seriously, he went one close to home. He didn't want to go far. I thought, I could do better. I've got that cranky sort of mind. I think I'd be in prison. And before I was a Christian, I could be... Oh, no, I won't tell you. It's nothing to boast about. But the grace of God has changed me. You know, the grace of God came to me. Where would you be this morning? And it's changed me. But listen, it's changed nations. They're very... The nations around us in the Western world have been transformed by the gospel. The way we treat people, the way we think about people, why we have hospitals and prisons, it all comes from Christians. You get into some of the Eastern ones, you're knowing. That's why some of these Eastern ones can blow up all their neighbours for some political, because you're not important. But you, you, you say, why can, they, why can they in Baghdad put a bomb under all their neighbours just to make a political point and kill 60 or 70 people? Because they have no high regard for people. Where does that come from? It comes from Christianity. That you were made in the image of God. And if you were made in the image of God, even though you're fallen, you still deserve respect and care. Even if you're fallen, you were made in the image of God. This is a fallen image of God. You still, you, you haven't got a right just to destroy it. So we said, well, when they're in prison, we've got to look after them. We, uh, Christians who started, when you stuck you in a hole, we said, it was Christians who said, well, we've got to educate them. Queen Victoria was asked by Gladstone, she said to Gladstone, one of our presidents, why don't we educate the poor? He said, oh, no, no, madam, leave them alone, they're much happier. Listen, it was the Christians who were getting out there in those days. They were getting out there by teaching them to read, these poor children to read. It became a massive movement, teaching them to read, and they then taught them the gospel. Listen, this Christianity, has, has, whatever the Western world is being unchristian, much of what still lies under there comes from Christianity. Even if you go to hospital, now, one day we let you die. Who started? It was Christians who started. Listen, this gospel is a powerful gospel, not only to change people, but to change laws and nations. And just before I came away, I, I've read the book on ah, the slave trade man, Wilberforce. And it was, we see it as a film and it all goes, in, what, an hour and a half and all through. It was a lifetime of people, Christians, praying, working, sweating, to get some change in the law. It's, it's, a little group met in London. So this can't be right. And they start to discuss it. And then, because we all see it now, we know it's not right. They didn't see it. They didn't see it. They're just a few. And it was a whole lifetime of 
prayer, of disappointment, of going again, of trying this and doing that, being ridiculed, causing riots, people abusing them, all sorts of things. Why? Because they saw something was wrong. It comes from the Christian gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone that will believe. I'm going to preach it. I'm going to tell you. Jesus came to save you because you were lost. He walked this scene. God, in person, walked this scene. He, he, he subjected himself to peasant man and woman. He hung on a woman's breast. Why? Because he came to save you. He, he was ridiculed and hated by those around him. His own, his own relations didn't, didn't understand him. They hated him. He was God's son who came here. And he goes to a cross and dies for my sin. Listen. And he rose triumphant. I'm not ashamed to say he's alive. He rose from the dead. I was talking to someone last night. And I said, about a funeral I did, I got moaned at afterwards. I got some moans at this funeral I did. Praise God. Uh, and the first time I spoke on death as a person. I, uh, I pinched the idea, but I made it my own. The skeleton of somebody else's, but my, I, I made death personal. He comes and finds you in the church row. He walks into old people's arms. And afterwards, they, they get upset with me. He, they don't like it. And I was talking about Christ's resurrection. He overcame death. Three here, and by his own death, he overcame. Listen, no resurrection, no Christianity. In the New Testament, and especially Acts, they're very clear. He's alive! In a way we don't have today. He rose from the dead. He's living and alive today on the throne of the universe, carrying out all his purposes. We mustn't be ashamed to get the whole gospel. Not only did he die on the cross to save you, he rose from and he's alive today. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation for who, who, all that will believe. I'm going to give you two more minutes. I'm sorry, Joe Crummy, I'm going to be late. I moaned at him last week for being late. Now he can moan at me this week. Listen, listen, this is the last one. It's a short, sharp point. They baptized them. They baptized them. They called for a radical obedience. Oh, I don't feel like God's telling me to be baptized. He's told you. He's written a whole book to tell you it. Oh, I don't think it's the right moment. No, no. He calls for radical obedience. To make disciples is to call for obedience. And many of our problems as Christians is our disobedience. Making disciples, teaching them to obey. If you're not baptized this morning, that's the first step in obedience. It's the first step. If you have problems with the first step, you could have problems with the second, the third, the fourth, and the fifth. In those days, to be baptized marked you. If you go to an Arab country and they know you're a Christian, if you're an Arab, they will try and kill you, poison you. And we're getting, you know, they've done all sorts of things. When you were baptized, it was nearly bad in those days. It, you, you stood out, you were marked. Yeah, and you would be, that would cause you problems. He was saying, I am serious. I'm standing for what I believe that God has done for me. And that's the first step in obedience. They called for radical obedience. Over my life, I've had people say, no, I, I don't think I need to be baptized. Well, you ain't saved, are you then? Well, I'm not sure God's telling me. It's in the Word of God. It's don't, you don't need to spend, spend your Archangel Gabriel for you special. It's there in the Word of God. But it's only the first step in a life of obedience. If you're not baptized this morning, put it right. Christening will not do for a baby because to be baptized, you've got to repent it and put your faith in Jesus. Right? Here, immediately they called. And I'll finish with the last thing. Evidence in both the jailer and Lydia. They both. She invites them in for food, says stay with us. He washes their wounds and feeds them. There's evidence you're a Christian by the beginning of a change of life. As a church plant.
one I was going to get to, I won't get to was, and they got persecuted. And they got persecuted. It isn't going to be easy. It isn't going to be easy. But we've got a tremendous saviour. We've got a wonderful gospel to preach. And the world needs it. Listen, Jesus said to you and me, you are the light of the world. If you're not the light of the world, there is no light. It's real darkness. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for our beloved Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we've just thrilled about him this morning as we worshipped and loved him. But Father, I want to thank you. It's out of your heart it came. Why should you care? Why bother yourself? Something in you of compassion and mercy and love reached out in Christ to us. Lord, I pray for us to have mercy and compassion for those out in the darkness around us, that we will seek to reach them with this gospel. Lord, we, we, we want you to help us. We do need you to help us. We need to pray. Come and help us, Lord. And then show us the way forward. And then, Lord, give us the confidence in this gospel. It's so lacking. So many Christians lack confidence. They're being undermined. Modern ideas and science. Lord, it's the power, your power. Lord, we do bless you for what you're doing here. We're excited, Lord. I pray you'd bless each in this room now. Lord, that we won't be those that think we're clever because we can find some spots. This isn't quite right. That ain't quite right. But Lord, we would get in with what you're doing. It's the day when you're moving. Just get on board. Get on board. Lord, we thank you for all your goodness and mercy to us in Christ. Amen. All right. Thank you very much, Don. <clears throat> so we're going to bring this part of our meeting to a close. So just a couple reminders what Don's shared. You know, we get to respond to this message. So we get to respond in prayer together, in giving. We get to respond in so many different ways. So this week, you got lots to talk about in your life groups as we meet throughout the week. If you're a guest here this morning, maybe you want to talk about more of these things. Maybe you want to talk more about who is Jesus, maybe about baptism. You've heard about that. Then, again, you can come and talk to one of us out at the welcome table, there's a card you can fill in. You can ask questions on there. We can get back to you. You can send your email or emails through the website. And that we give lots of opportunities for you to continue on this conver conversation and to respond in an appropriate way. All right? So parents, go get your kids. Coffee and tea out front. Prayer meeting tonight at our building, 487 Brunswick Street, 730. Thank you very much and have a great afternoon. Amen.